Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast where you didn't really ask for, but hey, I'm going to give it to you anyways. This is a podcast where I talk about anything, everything, and anything about movies. I'm your host Chase Lee and hey guys, listen, if you were uh, searching for the internet for some weird uh, porno or whatever and you accidentally came across my podcast and you were not a movie fan, well hopefully I can convince you to be one. This is episode 143 guys and if you are new to the show, welcome. What I do on this show is I'll take a look at some of the movie news that dropped during the week, uh, some of the trailers that dropped as well, talk about them and have reviews of movies coming out that particular weekend, and of course box office results for the weekend as well. Um, And on today's docket, we have Kubo and the Two Strings and War Dogs as the main two films that uh, I will be reviewing. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, if you're listening on Spreaker, or even watching on Facebook Live, and you want to comment down below and harass me, you can do just that. Uh, I do not care. But uh, how you guys do? You guys doing pretty good. I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's been a really good fucking weekend for movies. I gotta tell you guys, this has been one of the best weekends for movies I have seen in quite some time. And before we begin the episode, guys, I want to uh, uh, give a shout out to our sponsor uh, for this week, which is Rebecca Maynard Photography um, uh, at Rebecca RebeccaMaynard.com. Uh, she is someone I went to school with. And uh, she's really good at cinematography and just colors and just how to compose a shot uh, and whatnot. And she's really good at what she does. And she took uh, some of my photos, some uh, professional photos and whatnot. And uh, I really appreciate them quite a bit. And she's really good at what she does. So if you guys need some headshots, if you if you want to be an actor or if you need some wedding shots, engagement shots, baby pictures, whatever, you, whatever you, your little heart desires in terms of... Um, uh, photos, she is the person to do it. A uh, link will be in the description below and tell her that I sent you. She is uh, located here in Dallas. Uh, so if you know anyone in Dallas that needs stuff done like that, there you go. There's your service. So, but yeah, she's really good, guys. All right. So let's begin this week because I'm just super excited to talk about this shit. Holy God, this has been a great weekend for movies. Um, and I will also, uh, after my two uh, movie reviews, the, the main topics of the. Um, um, episode i will have a special review for another movie i saw this weekend and it just it just adds another layer of movie greatness to what i already saw this weekend it just this whole fucking weekend man i just i want to cry i just want to crawl up my bed and just cry and just die because i just i just saw um uh three great movies this weekend all right so let's begin guys uh movie news all right, all right. So there's actually a lot of piece of uh, movie news, guys. And if you're watching on Facebook Live or watching live in general, comment down below and uh, tell me what your favorite news story is, or just uh, comment uh, comment along. Um, the first piece of news is that the black suit that Superman wears in the comics uh, after his death um, was teased to be in the Justice League um, movie. Henry Cavill released a, a photo of a really close-up shot of the black um, suit and whatnot, and uh, basically he's teasing and whatnot, and uh, for for having Superman coming back in Justice League after you guys know what happened to him in the events of uh, BVS, um, I think this makes sense. Uh, I do wish that they didn't have the death of Superman storyline already so early in the, uh, the franchise, um, but if they are going down this route, I do appreciate that... Um, 
they uh, uh, continue on with it and don't hold anything back. If this was their plan all along, just keep going for it and whatnot. But I'm excited to see Superman come back and kind of be a little bit more malicious and evil and stuff because he has been the Boy Scout of the group so far. He's been very goody two-shoes and whatnot. And um, I like this interpretation of Man of Steel so far. I, I think uh, Henry Cavill is doing a really great job. And Man of Steel is a great interpretation of Superman. I always have hated the older versions that did not grow up on them because I was born in the 90s. I'm a Millennial, that's right. I probably I just bitch about everything. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to see uh, the black suit in action and to see Superman take a, a little bit of a different turn than what we've seen so far in these movies and stuff. So I'm super excited to see this. And Henry Cavill knows how to uh, play an audience. He knows uh, he knows what to do. He's uh, he's good at that marketing. Um, the next uh, thing I want to talk about. Um, is that uh, the movie It? Uh, it's coming out next year. It's gonna be broke up into two parts. It's gonna be a take on the novel. And um, as uh, anyone that grew up in the '90s knows, uh, Tim Curry donned that creepy ass clown suit uh, and did a two part TV miniseries uh, with the character. And uh, I re- I really remember watching uh, It while growing up and stuff and. Um, my mom ha- has a lot to contribute to that because she introduced me to all the horror films and whatnot. And uh, I was really creeped out by Tim Curry's performance and stuff. He was a really creepy Pennywise and whatnot. So them uh, redoing it and whatnot, I'm excited to see kind of like this modern take on um, uh, one of the creepiest uh, uh, novels that Stephen King has penned. And um, the full photo of Pennywise dropped. Now... I remember reporting a while back the the close-up of his face, uh, which was like, you know, the sinister grin. The lighting was like, you know, half lit, half not and stuff. It was a really good-looking photo and stuff and really kind of captured the essence of a Pennywise. They literally just scared the shit out of you. The full photo kind of takes that back just a little bit. I think for the most part, his head and his face is really creepy. But the kind of like old school kind of clown garb he has on, I'm not buying. It kind of looks like he came from a Victorian era like uh, convention or something. I, I don't know. It just it, it doesn't really appeal to me in terms of like fright. But we haven't really seen it in action, so I don't really know how it's gonna be played out in the movie. But in terms of just seeing a full photo, I have buy, half sell, and stuff because I really do like the face and the the creepiness uh, that one of the scars guards is bringing. I forgot his name because there's like fucking twenty family members. They're the next Baldwin's people. Um, I forgot. I, I forget who's who. Um, but one of the scars guards um, is playing Pennywise, and he looks creepy, facial uh, expression wise and stuff. But clothes, not so much. But like I said, we got to see it in action stuff. So. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and stuff. I, I I don't even remember the last Stephen King movie I watched in theaters. I believe it was 1408, which is a very underrated uh, Stephen King um, adaptation and stuff. I thought John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson were really great in that film. And that one's got some severe mind fucks going on. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see another Stephen King uh, uh, novel come to life. The next piece of news is that The Little Mermaid live action is coming from Disney. I mean, they're on this roll right now. They got... You know, Melissa, Maleficent, Alice in Wonderland, uh, 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 Cinderella, Jungle Book, uh, what else? Am I, uh, there's probably a few others I'm missing, but they're doing The Little Mermaid, rightfully so. These movies are killing it at the box office, and I've contributed to some of that box office, so uh, I get it, uh, business-wise. Um, but Little Mermaid's happening, and they're adding the guy that... Um, 
I believe just won the Tony for uh, that uh, Broadway play Hamilton. I forgot his name. I forgot to write it down. I'm sorry, but I don't want to take the time to look it up because, you know, this is this is live, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to spend like 10 minutes looking it up and you guys just hear a bunch of little click clicks of the keyboard in the background. But uh, having him uh, join Little Mermaid to obviously write some of the music and whatnot and participate in the production of it is super fucking smart. I mean, if you think about it, this Hamilton Broadway show, I haven't heard this much buzz about a, a, a fucking Broadway show since the Book of Mormon. And I really wanted to see the Book of Mormon because I'm a huge uh, uh, South Park fan and a huge fan of Trey Parker and Matt Stone, but I missed it. But when I hear strong word of mouth like this, I actually am a lot more curious in Broadway shows and whatnot. And I think uh, Hamilton is that, that next wave of like popularity in the Broadway world. And uh, I actually am, am really curious to see it. But in the t- uh, for the time being, having him join The Little Mermaid and writing some of the music is just smart. I mean, this guy is hot right now. Like, he, he, he's created one of the most uh, beloved Broadway plays uh, in the past, like, you know, few months or whatever. So, uh, it just makes sense business-wise to uh, really uh, uh, bring him on as a, consti- a content- <laughs> constituent. I, I don't know. I, I'm i slurring my words, guys. I've been, I've been drinking so so much. Uh, yeah, my diet, Dr. Pepper's really getting me slurred up. Um uh, so sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's smart business-wise and stuff, and I'm actually, uh, really curious to see, um, how involved he's gonna be, and, like, if he's gonna write most of the songs, or if he's gonna work with the composer and stuff, so, it's actually, uh, quite, uh, exciting to see something really popular right now being integrated into an actual feature film, so, I'll, I'll, I'm definitely looking forward to The Little Mermaid now, knowing that this guy has won so many fucking awards for this show. The next uh, thing I want to talk about is Spider-Man Homecoming. That's coming out next year. It's a little less than a year away. I'm excited to see um, the newest uh, third interpretation of Spider-Man in my lifetime, dear Lord. um, Because the first one came out in 2002 and I was 12 years old. Holy shit. So in 14 years, we've had three interpretations. But Spider-Man is is a Sony product. But the rights uh, to use Spider-Man in the Marvel movies over at Disney is a real thing now. So Marvel is going to help produce and co-produce uh, uh, these Spider-Man movies in this universe and whatnot if they can use Spider-Man in their universe and that uh, Sony can use like Iron Man and all the characters from Disney's universe. So that's how the deals worked out and whatnot. But it's still a Sony movie. The poster has come out uh, for Homecoming and it's very basic. But I think what uh, is very important about it, it captures kind of like this um, teenage, fun, uh, innocent kid in high school trying to take over the world, or take, not over the world, take on the world as this superhero and whatnot. And uh, the poster is just him hanging upside down, kind of uh, uh, doing like a pose or whatever, but it's it's very different from all the other posters. I was watching uh, some videos on uh, YouTube and how they explain that uh, all the Spider-Man posters are uh, of uh, Spider-Man like in mid-air, like you know, mid-shoot or whatever, just hanging over the city. And this is just a simple of him hanging upside down, but it adds a lot of personality uh, to this character that we haven't really seen before. And I really like Tom Holland's interpretation of Spider-Man in Civil War, uh, so I'm excited to see what he can do in his own solo film. So the poster, I think, really kind of captures that essence. So uh, the next piece of news is. Uh, Natalie Portman uh, likes to run her mouth. 
on uh, you know junkets and stuff. I think she's uh, doing some press stuff for the In a Tale of Love and Darkness, the movie that she directed and she's in. I actually quite like that one. I saw that at a film festival uh, about five months ago. Um, it, it she's not coming back for Thor uh, Ragnarok or I believe at all in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And she was asked this question, and she said, "Yeah, I, I just I'm done with those movies." And it's like, okay, good for you. We didn't really like you, anyways. Uh, I mean, guys, I gotta be honest with you. Like, there's a lot of weak parts about the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I don't really talk about that much. This is one of them. I've really never cared for Natalie Portman as a love interest to um, Thor and stuff. It's just it it never really worked for me. It's it's fine, serviceable for the movie, but in terms of like reaching at uh, to an emotional tie to it, I just I never bought into it. So the fact she's coming back doesn't really make a difference for me. It's like, dude, in Ragnarok, Thor's gonna be like having to save Asgard and stuff. He's gonna already have so much shit to do. Like he's not gonna worry about. Um, Natalie Portman so uh yeah I just I really don't care if she comes back she's just one of those characters that really never um resonated with me in the universe and stuff like most of the characters in the Thor movies have done that like Thor 2's villain Malekith anyone remember that fuck no exactly Kat Dennings no thank you uh Natalie Portman there you go like it's just I don't know some of the side characters in Thor um it just haven't really worked for me, but like Loki is in there, so he definitely makes up for all those weak points. So, Natalie Portman, you don't want to be in a Marvel movie? Congratulations, we don't want to see you in one. So, uh, that's it for that piece of news. Uh, and the last piece of news, guys, is that Jared uh, Leto, Leto, however, hey, you want to be politically correct and tell me down below? Please tell me because I honestly don't know how to say it. Um, he is going to join uh, join Blade Runner two. This cast is stacked, son. We got Harrison Ford, Ryan Gosling. Now we got Jared Leto. And it's going to be directed by Denny Villeneuve, who did um, Prisoners, Enemy, and Sicario from last year. And he's I'm about to talk about one of his movies coming out this year, Arrival. This guy's on fire right now. So, um, And Roger Deakins, the beautiful cinematographer of uh, you know No Country for Old Men, Prisoners. Uh, I believe he did Sicario as well, like... The guy is one of my favorite cinematographers next to Emmanuel Lubezki, who shot The Revenant last year in Birdman. Adding Jared Leto to the cast is fucking awesome. Now, I've been a huge Jared Leto fan ever since uh, 1998, I believe. I believe that was when Urban Legend came out. You guys remember that shit, Urban Legend? Uh, it's a really crappy horror film, but uh, he was very enjoyable in it. And then in 2000, he did Requiem for a Dream. And then he did, uh, oh shit. He did American Psycho after that in 2001. Oh, and then Fight Club was in 99. So he did like a bunch of good films back to back. Um, him joining uh, Blade Runner 2, I'm super excited for it and excited to see what kind of role he's going to play. If he's going to play like an android, if he's going to play a human or whatever. Uh, he kind of can do that kind of stone cold like robotic look. So if he's playing an android, it would not fucking surprise me. Um, there's a couple stories running around right now that uh, Jared Leto has been really vocal and very pissed about the interpretation of the Joker in Suicide Squad. Don't worry, this is all going to tie in, trust me. Uh, but if it doesn't, then you guys you guys fucking know this by now. I ramble on. So he was not ex- he was not uh, excited about the, the version of uh, the Joker that he thought he was going to uh, have in Suicide Squad, and he was a little bit disappointed. Um... A lot of people will take that and go, oh my god, Jared Leto, 
Jared Leto's never going to work with Warner Brothers again. And he just he fucking hates that studio. I hate to break it to you, but Blade Runner 2 is going to be distributed by who other than Warner Brothers. So, I don't think there's any bad blood between him and Warner Brothers. He's probably very vocal and disappointed because they hacked it to shit. That's okay. But I don't think he's like, you know, oh my god, I'm just going to never work. Well, obviously he's working with them again. Unless he signed a contract like way before and they finalized it way before those comments and stuff and he's kind of contractually obligated to. Then that's a different story. But I don't think he's got any like bad blood against the studio. He's just like very vocal and disappointed about the interpretation of uh, the Joker and whatnot. So, you know, I just had to put that story to rest and I tied it into Blade Runner too, so. But guys, that is it for the news. Uh, yeah, so what was your favorite piece of news? Comment in that place or up on my face and let me know. Uh, you know, Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, whoever's watching live right now. Um, yeah, so let's move on to the sole trailer that came out this week. Seriously. One fucking trailer came out this week. And it was Arrival. Now, I talked about Arrival last week, and it was a teaser trailer, and it really kind of captured this kind of uh, science fiction-y, uh, really kind of grounded um, alien movie that was going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve, who, uh, like I said, did Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, and now Arrival. He's going to be doing Blade Runner 2. Um, he's one of my favorite up-and-coming directors. This guy knows how to shoot a fucking movie. He knows how to direct a movie. He knows how to construct a story. This guy is on fire, and I cannot wait to see where his career goes off from here. And he will. Mark my words. You can take this podcast, and you can you can save it for your archives. Denny Villanueva will be nominated for an Oscar within five years. I, I, I seriously think he'll be nominated for a director position in five years. The guy is just too talented and stuff. And Prisoner's... Or, wait a minute, was he nominated for Prisoners? Guys, listen. Uh, Obviously, I don't get my facts right. (laughs) Um, Hold on. I don't think he was. But then again, I I have no clue what I'm doing in my my life. (sighs) Hold on. Guys, this is what happens when I do this live, and I I have second uh, guesses. Okay, that's what I thought. He was nominated for one BAFTA award. Yeah, okay, never for an Academy Award. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Just had to make sure. Didn't want to get called out too soon in this show. But I'm really excited to just kind of see where he takes everything because Prisoners was a really uh, kind of uh, crime thriller. Enemy was like a a severe mindfuck. Sicario was a drug film. Arrival is a sci-fi film. And Blade Runner 2 is also going to be a sci-fi film. So I'm, I'm excited to see him expand his filmography. And this one looks so fucking good. I don't want to see any more promotional material for this. I don't want to see any more TV spots, trailers. I'm sold. I will be there. I mean, hell, I was sold on the teaser. But this trailer expands the story a little bit more. We see Amy Adams, you know, communicating with the aliens and whatnot. And Jeremy Renner is there. And Forrest Whitaker. Excuse me. It looks like a really smart film. Like it doesn't look like it's going to take like an Independence Day route and be super cheesy and over the top. It very well could be, and the the marketing is just fantastic. But I don't think that's the case. This is a, a film not really about aliens. As I was watching it, I was like, they're really kind of showcasing humans and what and how the humans would react if something like this were to occur. And uh, I, I was kind of impressed that they took that approach and kind of put the aliens in the backseat of their own film and put the humans in the forefront of, like, how would the countries communicate to one another and how would they band together to fight a common uh, enemy, friend? We, we have no clue. 
these aliens are friendly, if they're uh, hostile, we have no clue. And that's what's so great about it, is that there's still mystery and intrigue left in this trailer to where I'm going to go see it, but I'm still going to be surprised by everything in the trailer. That is great. We need more trailers like that. But on top of all that, it's shot very well. It just looks really, really awesome. Like, I cannot wait for this movie. I believe it comes out um, September, I believe. So, uh, yeah, take a look uh, at uh, Arrival trailer and check it out uh, next month. So, uh, or, yeah, this is August. Yeah, next month. I was thinking it was July for some reason. So, uh, yeah, I I should probably... uh, uh, should probably sleep more so um yeah so that's it for the trailers guys it was just one trailer there, there was a bunch of like smaller independent film trailers that dropped but I, i'm you know some of them are so small like the budget looks like 10 bucks you guys have no fucking clue what they are but like if it's like a, a can or sundance film selection or something i'll talk about it but there was just really nothing that dropped so what did you guys think of the Arrival trailer? Did you even watch it? Have you seen it? Are you excited about this movie? Tell me about Denny Villeneuve. Are you excited for him uh, as a director and stuff? Comment that place on my face and let me know. All right, guys. Let's get into the meat of the podcast. The appetizers are out of the way. Now we get to the main fucking course. I just realized this is a really fast episode this week. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are fine with that, though. Um, trust me. I got a lot to say about Kubo and War Dog, so uh, I, we will be just fine. Um uh oh perfect uh brent lewis what's going on buddy uh he's uh on the facebook live chat room he's like what'd you think of kubo what'd you think well guess what guys that is the very first one i'm going to talk about out of the two so let's talk about kubo and the two strings um first of all let me just start off by saying this uh Leica, the company that made kubo they have made movies like Coraline, paranorman and the box trolls and this company is one of my favorite companies, period. Ever since I saw Coraline, I was just severely impressed at the artistry and the the um, the hard work that these animators and these filmmakers go through. Because when you do stop motion animation, I'll give you guys a little crash course. Um, every second of film is 24 frames. So if I hold up my hand like this, a second goes by, I move it to the left or right. So if I have my hand up here and the the hand ends up here after one second, you have to count, uh, calculate 24 frames of the hand going from the top to the hand going to the side, and that would equal one second. So you have to take an individual photo uh, per frame. So for an hour and a half movie, I can't even, I can't even do the math right now. That, that's out of my wheelhouse right now. That's a lot of fucking frames. That's what Leica does. They take each frame and they have to make a mouth movement or a hand movement or walking or have another character in the background throw up or what. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Um, That takes a lot of time. So these movies come out every two years. And I know for a damn fact in that two years span, man, they're fucking killing it man i'm sure they're working on all these at the same time with like different groups of people but still that's so much fucking work and i love stop motion animation to death i think it's one of the best forms of animation period and it's one of the most um uh egregious uh uh types because it's just so it's so monotonous man you have a character that just says hi and that's a second each 
facial muscle is a frame and it's just oh it blows my fucking mind how much work they put into these movies now i really love Coraline quite a bit i think that as of right now maybe i might convince myself at the end of the review but Coraline is the best film that they've put out period Paranorman, I like very, very much. I think it's a very kind of cool throwback to like these old uh, monster movies that's set in the uh, um, stop motion animation stuff, which is uh, pretty cool because uh, the same year, a little tidbit, a little fact, uh, in 2012 when that came out, that was also the same year as Frankenweenie, and that also had kind of like a gothic, kind of old school monster vibe to it. So, pretty uh, good little uh, uh, stop motion animation there as well. And then the box trolls, I rewatched it again this past week to get prepared for Kubo. I like it quite a bit, um, but it, it's not like I don't love it like a Coraline because I rewatched Coraline again this week as well. It, so good, so fucking good. It is from the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas, so that makes a lot of sense. How was Kubo in the Two Strings? I really like it. I I I. I I have to like sit on it for a while and I saw it yesterday. So I've had a good 24 hours, a a good cool 24 hours to think about it. But as of right now, I like it a lot. I do find a little bit of problems and issues with it, but overall I was really surprised by it. But then again, why am I surprised by Laika? I have no fucking clue because they should just blow me away every single time. But they up their game with every single movie, and I'll explain why. So let's get real and break down Kubo and the two strings. Okay, so let's start with the writing and directing. As far as the story goes, the story is super original, and it feels like this uh, really cool kind of folklore fairy tale that your parents would tell you as you're about to fall asleep. It kind of had like that that mystical fantasy vibe to it and whatnot. I was just kind of I was engrossed um, uh, for the entire adventure from start to finish. I just I was kind of in awe, and I, I felt like a little kid again, like watching. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know, like, this is probably what people felt like when they watched Star Wars for the first time as a kid. Um, and so I, I felt like the magic was there for sure and whatnot. And I thought the characters were really well developed and stuff. I love Kubo as a main character. I thought he was, um, you know, just a normal little kid or whatever, taking care of his mom at the very beginning. But then he grows into, like, this this very strong um, um, little boy or whatever and stuff. So... I really liked his character. The character, the side characters of Monkey and uh, the Beetle person played by uh, McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Um, I thought we were really good as well. Uh, they added a lot of depth and stuff. I don't want to spoil like who they actually are, but I thought they added a lot of depth to the story. And I thought uh, their purpose there uh, made sense. Everything made sense for their character. But here are some of the weak parts in the writing. Uh, and the way the story is constructed, even though I found the story to be very uh, engrossing and stuff, and I, I felt like I was watching like this cool uh, fairy tale, like I said, um, uh, I gotta be honest with you, the beginning of the film is great. I was hooked in. I liked the first act quite a bit. The second act kind of meanders a little bit because they are doing the same thing over and over again. So it kind of felt a little draggy in the middle and then at the end I love the finale and stuff it was uh really cool to see so um yeah it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of the way the, the story is constructed and the investment I found myself to be in it but um overall the story is very good very original and very uh uh 
just mystical. It's mystical, magical fantasy uh, movie and stuff, and I, I really enjoyed it. Let's get into the directing, because this is key to this film. Now, I actually think that all four of these directors from all of these Leica movies are... <laughs> they, they need to win uh, their own award, because... The fact that you gotta take on this task to not only do these things frame by frame by frame, but you gotta construct this story, you gotta make it look visually appealing, you have to have everything working together to make it come into um, a product that you're satisfied with. Kubo and the Two Strings is the most well-directed out of the entire Like a Bunch. And I love Coraline. But this movie felt so epic. And they're working with miniatures. That's fucking impressive. Now, I was watching an interview of the director this past week, and he said that he wanted to have that epic, kind of magical quest feel to this movie. And it totally succeeds. There are shots where they're on water. There are shots with, you know, multiple characters in one scene. I'm like, oh my god, like, how are they doing all this? Like, the man work and the... The just vision for this film is on such a grand scale and working with miniatures that the directing of this movie is by far the strongest thing about it. Because Laika, like I said, just keeps stepping up their game. Like, I just... I can't even... I can't wait to see where they go from here, but Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, direction-wise, is pretty damn fascinating. Um, and just... It just... Dear Lord, like some of the, the settings that they create, I'm just like, how did they shoot this? Because everything is stop motion. I'm like, well, are there some things that are CGI? What is CGI? I can't even tell because it's blended in so well. And I think the director really kind of um, made that work. And just it seemed like just a flawless execution. I'm sure it took him many, many hours uh, and days of his life. So thank you, sir, for directing such an epically told film. Acting-wise, so this is animated, so it's voice acting. Uh, McConaughey was really funny. I liked him quite a bit. Um, his Beatle character, he had some of the funniest lines. And so did Charlie Theron as the monkey. I thought she was a really great um, guide for Kubo and whatnot through this journey. I thought uh, her line delivery and just her voice in general kind of really fit that monkey. It was just really weird. But I, I really like Charlie Theron quite a bit. And I think she, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think she did a really good job um conveying this monkey or whatever um the kid kubo uh the kid i he's off a of game of thrones i forgot what his name is i apologize but i thought he did a really good a great job too at the beginning of the film you see kind of like the childlike innocence of a kubo and he's just kind of making his way through life like telling stories to people and whatnot and as the film progresses his character progresses and stuff and you can kind of hear that in the voice inflections um for the character went on, so I thought the voice acting for Kubo was really well handled. And everyone else does great, um, but it's mainly uh, those three, and I thought they did very well. Oh, and uh, I guess the villain, the villain's like minions or whatever. I, I don't want to spoil it or whatever, but like their voices were fucking creepy. And I was, I, I was like, uh, I don't want them to be whispering in my ear at night, so I thought they did a really good job too. So voice acting, very solid. Uh, Cinematography-wise, once again... This feels like it wasn't even stop motion. Some of the scenes I was like, did they shoot this on location? Of course not, because it's Leica, and they shoot everything in a fucking warehouse. It still blows my mind. There are shots, like I said, on the ocean and water. There are shots in the, the woods. 
uh, snow, caves, villages. There's so many different types of settings it just makes the cinematography pop a little bit. It's very colorful. It's very inviting. You just you almost uh, feel like you want to be in this world from the way it is shot because it's just so uh, engrossing and so rich with colors. It's quite beautiful. It's just a beautiful looking movie. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So uh, yeah, it's a really great piece of eye candy. Even if you're just bored by the story, this uh, style of animation um, has some of the best uh, visuals that you'll ever see. Editing-wise, like I said, I think for the most part, the first act and the opening was very, very strong. The last act and all that stuff, um, the climax was really well handled. But I thought the middle kind of meandered a little bit. So it was kind of like a yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, kind of slowed down. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So uh, I thought for the most part, the pacing was like a little you know, on and off and stuff. But for the most part, I was still intrigued by the movie because it was like this original uh, tale unfolding in front of us and i found it to be really kind of enjoyable and very very entertaining so guys listen is kubo my favorite uh like a movie no it isn't but i would highly suggest you see this in the theater just because first of all we're gonna get to the box office results in a minute but i am i am just shocked that Leica continues to make movies and what do i mean by that Coraline barely made or broke even Paranorman did not make its money back. The Box Trolls did not make its money back. How in the hell are they still getting funded? I'm glad they're getting funded. But because no one is seeing these movies. You guys need to go support uh, Leica and their movies and stuff. Because it's just... It's a it's a one-of-a-kind type of animation that's not really made much anymore. And you got to give them props for them cranking out these nice original pieces of entertainment. And just the artistry behind it is just incredible. So... Yeah, I just, I don't understand, like, how these movies don't make money, because they're just so damn good, but I really liked Kubo quite a bit, um, and I would still recommend it for anyone that's a fan of Laika, or just a fan of this animation in general, but for me personally, just as a personal thing, it's not my favorite, but I still think it's a very solid movie, I like it quite a bit, it is, uh, definitely uh, one of my favorite animations of the year so far, I'm gonna give Kubo and the Two Strings a B plus. So, did you guys see Kubo in the Two Strings this week? And hopefully, you did. Guy, let's give like a money, please, so they can keep making stuff like this. Even though it seems like they're doing just fine, uh, even though they fail. Um, comment the place to rub my face and let me know. All right, guys, let's move on to the second movie of uh, the week. I just got back from it. And I'm kind of hyped about it because I really enjoyed it as well. Let's review War Dogs. Um, I when I saw the trailers to this movie, I I was really excited for it just because I'm a huge fan of Todd Phillips. I'm one of the only few guys in this world that will actually defend Hangover One, Hangover Two, and Hangover Three. Yes, is the Hangover Two pretty much a carbon copy of the first one? Yes, it is, but it's entertaining and funny as hell. The third one took like this weird. Uh, kind of darkly comedic uh, approach to it, and it made more of like a like a crime movie, and I really enjoyed it quite a bit. But War Dogs, I'm gonna say this right now: War Dogs is the best thing Todd Phillips has directed. Period. And Todd Phillips is in contention to do this ISIS series for HBO. After watching War Dogs, bro, you can do. An ISIS series 
a- any way you want. Because after seeing War Dogs, I thought he really kind of captured like that war type of tone. And it totally worked for this story. So let's get real and break down War Dogs. And as always, guys, I'm not going to spoil anything, so um, uh, feel free to keep listening. Um, in terms of the, uh, let's talk about the writing and directing. In terms of the way the, the story is written, I found it really uh, engaging and stuff. Because uh, I was thinking about this after I left. I was like, what, what is this movie like? And it's exactly like a Wolf of Wall Street meets like a military movie. And it deals with like two unlikable people and whatnot. You know, Jonah Hill is in both of them. So I found that kind of uh, interesting. But the writing and the story in general, and this is based on a true story, by the way. If you guys want to look up the actual War Dogs, it's pretty fucking miraculous what these guys did. Um, but it's essentially about these two guys who sell arms and bullets and stuff to uh, the military uh, as a, um, um, you know, they're, they're the sellers or whatnot. So the, the government doesn't go to, like, big buyers and stuff. They go to, like, the smaller guys and whatnot. And it's not really looked at as much as a, like a bigger company and stuff so it's kind of like a, a like a little loophole in the system but uh this is a real life story and i was just intrigued from start to finish like i was so entertained by it and the thing is with these characters they're very unlikable they do some illegal shit and uh but at the same time i wanted them to actually succeed because yes some of their motivations were questionable but I still found what they did and what they were trying to do and achieve as much success as they did. They were just doing what they were doing and um, really just conjuring a business. Like, and they were just, you know, trying to find ways to um, uh, find a loophole in the system and take advantage of it. And in some ways, that's wrong. In some ways, it's not. And I know you guys are probably thinking, like, what? That no, that's all wrong. It is wrong, but. They did it legally at first, but then they start getting greedy and stuff, and they start going down this illegal route, and that's where you kind of go, yeah, now you kind of deserve all that prison time you got and stuff. So I liked how it progressed from, like, this simple, like, oh, they're selling a couple arms and stuff, and it grows into, like, this huge thing, and then, you know, they fall down to their knees. So it is it is a nice rise and fall type of story and stuff. I enjoyed the characters quite a bit. Miles Teller, he's the lead in this, and I thought he was really um, good in this. Like, I'm not going to say it's any whiplash by any means, but I haven't seen a good performance uh, from Miles Teller uh since Whiplash, and I think this one was really good. I liked the fact that he was a family man, and he was doing it for his family and whatnot. He kind of has a conscience and whatnot, so that's why he was battling with Jonah Hill's character all the time. I really liked the way his character kind of progressed and developed and kind of grew as a person. But Jonah Hill, that guy in the movie is a fucking slime bag. I, I gotta be I gotta be one hundy with you guys. He is a complete dick in this movie. But that's his character, that's his personality. I didn't mind that. I didn't mind his personality because that's probably how the person actually was. But here's the problem. Uh, Not a problem, but just kind of like a nitpick. I wish I saw a little bit more of his character, like outside of the business and what they were doing. Because all I saw was um, him interacting with Miles Teller. And then Miles Teller would go home and he would interact with his his girlfriend and whatnot. So that's fine and dandy. But I kind of wish I would have saw a little bit more of his character. Maybe have a little bit more of an understanding of his character. Maybe feel a little bit of sympathy. Um, but you feel sympathy towards Miles Teller just because he has the conscience and he's not a dickbag like uh, Jonah Hill's character is. But 
Um, I just, I just wish there was a little bit more. That's not like a huge issue. I just, it's kind of more of a personal preference. And I would love to see another thirty minutes to an hour of this film. I would love to see like these guys' lives uh, after um, jail and whatnot. It's just, it's just a really fascinating story that people got away with this shit. Um, and uh, so I talk about the characters, uh, and it's, it's written very, very well. I, I, I was really impressed in terms of the way. Uh, the dialogue and stuff, even the humor didn't come off as, like, cheesy, raunchy or whatever. It was just straight up, like, the dialogue they said was so ridiculous and outrageous, that's why you laughed at it. Um, the ending of the movie. I liked it quite a bit. Because it leaves on this, like, really cool kind of open-ended um, um, possibility that it could go in many different routes and whatnot. So, I was really kind of fascinated by the baldiness of of leaving it off on the ending like that and you just, it just goes to the credits and you're like that's fucking awesome because you don't know um what's going to happen to these characters and whatnot and what choices they're going to make and i found that to be really intriguing especially with the story and whatnot so directing wise let's, let's go into todd phillips directing style this fucking guy i have been a fan of since road trip and i always thought that he was going to be like the next comedic thing I actually think he should do the opposite now because he is maturing as a filmmaker. When you look at Road Trip, it's more of like a silly, raunchy comedy. It's got some really great, funny bits in it. Then you move on to old school and it's still a raunchy comedy and stuff and it's got its funny parts and Will Ferrell completely breaks out from that movie and that's probably his most well-known movie. Then he does the Hangover movie and that thing was a huge success. Hell, it spawned a sequel and it came out within... um, like a year and a half or like two years. They moved on really quick with that movie. I like Hangover 2 quite a bit. Like I said, it's very entertaining. But then Hangover 3 took like this darkly comedic crime route. And I had no idea that that was his test for War Dogs. Because War Dogs is not a comedy. I don't know why these marketing teams thought, let's take like the five funny lines from the movie and make it into like a full blown out comedy and spin it that way. No, I actually contend that War Dogs is a straight-up drama with uh, sprinklets, little sprinkles of comedy thrown in there. But this is more of a drama and a more of a commentary on the military and on war and, um, you know, like the purpose of war and stuff and like the purpose it is for some other people and how it's not, you know, to fight for your freedom but it's to make money and stuff. I found that like super, like, intriguing. I was like, what the f- like this is it was like peeling back like you know a conspiracy theory it was amazing and so i would actually contend that this is more of a drama with some really great like thriller type moments in this film this is not a comedy yes it's got like some darkly comedic um lines and edge to it but this is not a full blown out comedy like the marking suggests so don't go in there thinking you're gonna laugh like you might laugh at some of the ridiculous things that jonah hill says but he gives a, a great performance like, I loved uh, his performance in this movie. I hated his character. Don't get me wrong. He was entertaining to watch. But just like The Wolf of Wall Street, I was just kind of impressed that he could take um, this role, which is based off of a real-life person, and uh, you know make it his own and really kind of bring that, that gravitas to it and stuff. So I was really impressed by uh, his performance. So let's kind of bleed into that for the acting. Jonah Hill, fantastic, like I said. Um, Miles Teller. Was great in this. I loved every single scene with him in it. I've been a huge Miles Teller fan 
ever since I saw the Spectacular Now. But once I saw Whiplash, that, that, if you have any person that is doubting Miles Teller, this movie solidifies it. Um, War Dogs and uh, Whiplash, sorry. Um, but no, he was really great. The side characters were really great. I liked uh, the girlfriend of Miles Teller. She actually had a lot of depth to her and stuff. I, she, she delivered her emotional scenes very well. Kevin Pollock is in this. Um, he's fine. Um, Bradley Cooper is in this. He's not in it that much, but his character is very pivotal to the last like mission, one of the final missions that they go on before they get caught. Um, and that's not really... I apologize if that feels like a spoiler. I don't think it is. Like, because uh, I mean, come on, you guys should like. If this happened, you know, twelve years ago, and they're making a movie on it, like, you probably know that the guys got caught at some point. Um, but no, uh, uh, Bradley Cooper's character is very pivotal to the movie and whatnot. And um, um, I thought, like I said, the way the movie ends and stuff uh, kind of involves Bradley Cooper's character, and it's. It's great. It's good stuff. Um, and all the side, side characters are fine. Cinematography-wise, I've said this about Todd Phillips ever since I saw the first Hangover. The guy is getting better and better at shooting. Like I don't know what he is doing to improve, but the Hangover trilogy is a well-shot comedy. It really is. If you want to look at the scope and the chaotic nature of all three Hangover movies, it's shot with such a kind of grit and dirty kind of uh look to it and stuff it just i feel like i'm watching like the cd underbellies of like a gotham movie but it's the hangover it's, it's they're silly comedies and so the the brilliant and kind of dark and beautiful uh cinematography uh counteracted with the comedy in the hangover movies is a really great contrast it does it with great great with war dogs so you take that that cinematography style from the uh hangover movies you apply it to war dogs but make it more of a drama it it makes for a pretty powerful movie, so I really enjoyed the way it was shot, and I enjoy everything that uh, Todd Phillips uh, shoots. Um, Editing-wise, I will say this, that the first type of uh, mission that they go on, oh my god, I was on the edge of my seat, actually. I was like, oh, how's this, how's this going to fucking end? Like, this is awesome. It does, after that, kind of meanders a little bit. It kind of slows down the momentum, but when they get to their final mission um, of the the film, it, I, I was hooked right back into it stuff. And I thought the ending was a really strong note. So it does kind of slow down a little bit, but make no mistake about it. It is a very entertaining movie. And it kind of reminded me of like a pain and gain where it took like these awful people that did awful things and make it into an entertaining, dark comedy romp, but still have like kind of smart, uh, commentary on war and the military and government and how you know government gets stuff for the military and you know what's um, you know watched at a lot more than other things and what skates by and what goes under the rug like it's pretty fascinating and stuff and they kind of really bring that up and uh, they touched on it and stuff great so guys this is the best thing Todd Phillips has directed I thought Jonah Hill's character could have been fleshed out a little bit more. Uh, I also think it kind of meandered a little bit, but as a film, this is entertaining from start to finish with some smart things to say, really great dramatic scenes. It is not a comedy and it's just entertaining overall. And it's, um, definitely, um, a great 
double feature with uh, Kubo and the two strings. I'm going to give War Dogs the same grade. I'm going to give it a B plus. I think it's a, a above solid film. Can't really get into the A category uh, just because um, I don't think I love it uh, as much, but I, I like it quite a bit. And uh, maybe if I see it again, it might bump it up. For right now, I'm going to give it a solid B plus. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. I I think people should see this movie. It's it's great. It, Wolf of Wall Street meets the military, man. Good stuff. So uh, that will do it for the movie reviews, guys. Let's get into the box office. Wait a minute. Defu- what was that? I'm harking back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. I have another movie review. I know. I like to throw you guys a little surprise every once in a while. So the movie I'm going to be reviewing, I saw yesterday, it was Hell or High Water. I'm going to tell you guys this right now, perfection. From the tense, um, uh, kind of like subtle, simple direction, the execution of the writing and characters, the acting from Chris Pine and Ben Foster and Jeff Bridges, from the way it was shot and kind of had like this... um, grounded visceral Sicario look to it and the fact that it's editing its pace was tight there was nothing wasted no characters no scenes no dialogue everything was tight in this movie the music was a great layer to it I don't need to say anything more about it hell or high water gets an a plus for me I absolutely love this movie it will be in my top 10 um it might be my favorite film of the year so far I I don't know maybe it just hit me at the uh right moment because you know, I saw Peach Dragon last week, which was fine. Sausage Party, which was fine. Uh, Suicide Squad, which I really didn't like. So maybe this was just because I haven't seen a really great movie in a long time. But this delivered on all levels. Hell or high water. If you can go see it in theaters, go see it. Go support it. Because it is a gem of a movie. And this one is like um, a western, a heist film. And it's got another component to it that I don't want to spoil because I didn't know anything about it. And when I walked into the movie, I was surprised that they went down that route. And I was like, that's really smart. And I actually um, like the characters that are robbing banks. Um, Because that's what it focused on. Two brothers, they rob banks and stuff, but you don't know why. And when you find out why, it's actually like, I'm on their, I might be on their side now. Like, that's fucking awesome. So, Hello High Water, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. A plus for me. That movie is just simple perfection. That's what's great about the movie. It's nothing but a heist film and a western. Very simple story. But the way it was executed on all levels. on You tick off directing, writing, cinematography, acting, music, editing, sound design. Brilliant all across the board. Didn't really have any problems with it. No problems at all actually. Didn't find anything wrong with it. I'm going to give it an A+. Like I said. So I highly recommend that. So... Moving on, finally, to the box office results, guys. But before I begin, did you guys see War Dogs? I forgot to ask that. Uh, comment a place below my face and let me know. And did you see Hell or High Water? Also comment down below my face and let me know. So let's get to the box office results, guys. All right. For August 19th through the 21st, we have top five. Number five uh, is the movie. One of the new releases I did not see because I don't want to waste my money on it is the Ben-Hur remake. Uh, 11.3 million guys get this its budget is 100 million um domestically which is the u.s and canada it's got 11 million right now worldwide 22 for its budget of 100 million it needs to double that so 200 million plus the marketing so i'm gonna say about 
say 230 for shits and giggles to break even. This is going to be a humongous bomb. No one asked for this. There's a reason why, because it didn't make that much money. So, yeah, Ben Hur, number five. Um, it actually knocked out Peach Dragon by like 20 grand. So, Peach Dragon came out like 11.3 for number six. Um, number four, this is a crime, but I will allow it because um, they will continue to make it another one, anyways. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings was number four with 12.6 million. Guys, come on, support this these movies. Like, it, I'm actually really fascinated as to how they keep the budget the same because its budget is 60 million, and worldwide right now it's at 13. Guys, with marketing and stuff, it needs to make about 150 to break even. I I don't know how they keep it at 60 million because I think Coraline was like 40, Paranorman was 60, Box Trolls was 60. They've kept everything around relatively the same and stuff. I don't know where it's making its money. Maybe it's on streaming and blu-ray and stuff but guys go support this movie please because like it deserves it um all you people that are complaining about original content Leica is one of those um companies that do it number three is war dogs which uh which is great i didn't think he was gonna make this much 14.3 million that's great and i think people should go see this too if you were curious about it kind of on the edge i uh highly recommend it quite a bit um its budget is unknown I'm going to say probably around 50 or 60 million is probably what it costs to make this. And the fact that they made, already made 20 worldwide, uh, it's probably not going to do well. And this is another Warner Brothers release and stuff. So after Suicide Squad, they're just not really having a good month. Um, but Suicide Squad's killing it because we'll get to that in just a second. Number two is Sausage Party with 15.3 million. Uh, right now, the movie that costs $19 million. Uh, so double that 38 with marketing. I'm going to say about, let's say 50 million for shits and giggles. Uh, right now, 65 domestically and 71 worldwide. Doing pretty good. Um, and I like uh, Sausage Party quite a bit. Um, number one, Suicide Squad with 20.7 million. This thing just keeps going down 50, 60% every single week. Um, its budget is 175. Double that, we're looking at 350. But with marking, I'm gonna say about 450, maybe even 500 to break even, because there was a lot of marketing that was involved with this. Right now, domestically, it's at 262, and worldwide, it's at 572. That's uh, I mean, it made a little bit of profit, so there you go. I, I don't really care for the movie at all after I think about it more and more. Um, but that will do it, guys, for this weekend's box office, and that will do it for this week's episode. I know it's kind of a kind of a quick one, um, but but don't worry, I try I try to stretch it out as much as possible. But uh, yeah, so um, uh, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube right now and you want an audio only version of the podcast, link will be in the description below. If you're listening on Spreaker, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or SoundCloud, and you want a video version, link will be in the description below. I want to thank you guys for listening and watching uh, once again. Um, for this podcast and watching on Facebook Live. You guys are fucking awesome. And just to reiterate, once again, this episode is sponsored by Rebecca Maynard Photography at RebeccaMaynard.com. Link will be in the description below for some beautiful, gorgeous uh, headshots or uh, engagement pictures, um, baby pictures, whatever you need. She is uh, a person I will recommend uh, for sure. So go check her out. And hey, uh, you know, for next week, 
episode 144. I'm um, really looking forward to this. Uh, once again, uh, Carrie Darling uh, from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram will be on the podcast once again, just like he did last year. And uh, we will go over movies from September, the first weekend in September, to the last weekend in December, and talk about the full fall schedule and what ones we're looking forward to and probably our top three and stuff and you know what the oscar oscar season's gonna look like in general it's gonna be a really fun time to talk with him again and just kind of go back and forth on which ones are going to be uh great throughout the remaining months uh the fall season aka oscar season so that is for next week guys for episode 144 we're getting to the 156 mark uh guys because that would be the three-year mark so we're, we're getting there we, we getting there um start from the bottom now we're still at the bottom um uh, yeah, so uh, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at RealChaseLee. Subscribe to my YouTube page uh, to get up to date on when I do these things live. Follow me on Spreaker. Like, comment, share. Do all that stuff. Share around. Tell people this is a pretty decent little podcast. And you would recommend it to anyone that's uh, curious about movies or is on the fence about some movies and just wants to hear um, some uh, large person like me rant about it. So uh, that will do it for this week's episode, guys, of Real Me and Corner Movie Podcast. Um the intro and outro music is done with my friend's band, Fervent Road. Check them out. Uh, they are a very good band in Dallas, and I trust them deeply for my musical um, accompaniment to my ears. So, guys, if you made it through this entire podcast and you were not a movie fan, well, hopefully I convinced you to be one. I'm Chase Lee, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Let's play out that music. And I'll see you guys later. Celebrate the big 2020 with T-Mobile. Switch now and get two lines for just 90 bucks and two new iPhone 11s on us. So you can take a portrait built for two with the ultra-wide camera. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, cute. Hurry in to T-Mobile and get two lines for 90 bucks and two iPhone 11s on us with qualifying trade-ins. Via 24 credits for well-qualified buyers with auto pay, plus taxes and fees. If you cancel before receiving 24 credits, you may owe up to the full value of your device of $699.99. Contact us. Qualifying port ins and finance agreements required.